just, you know, got to do something different every now and then. Uh, we do have a special speaker this morning. She's very special, and she speaks very well. And I know that she would prefer to be doing it somewhere in the dark where no one can see her. But she's going to come all the way up front and give us a message this morning. It's uh, Susanna Shackley. All right. So, good morning. Um, so those of you who know, uh, know us, um, you know that Buddy and I are, uh, well, we're engineers. And we're hardwired that way. And um, I, by far, am the much more introverted engineer of us. And um, so do you guys know the difference between uh, an extroverted engineer and an introverted engineer? Yeah, you know? The extrovert will look at your shoes when he talks to you. <laughs> so please understand me when I say that if I make eye contact with any of you this morning, just understand how special that is. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. It's true. You're next, Debbie. You nominated me, I nominate you. Okay. <laughs> okay, so about seven years ago, uh, when I was in my mid-40s, I read a book called Humility by Andrew Murray. Some of you may be familiar. Okay, so this book was very, just so impactful on me, so and I would highly recommend it. It's short, as you can see little book, but very profound, um, very powerful study on humility. And I've, I've reread it over and over again, probably every year, if not a couple times a year. And so um, this morning, my teaching is just going to be a, a little taste of the revelation that I received from Murray's book. And in one, you know, 40-minute sermon, I'm, I'm only going to scratch the surface of the full understanding of humility. Uh, and the book, you know, it covers the topic so much more in depth. So again, I would really encourage you uh, to read it. Get it and read it. All right. So the Bible says that the least shall be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So if you want to have an impact in God's kingdom, we must learn to be humble to be the least. So I'm going to have some scriptures that Joy will put up. Awesome. All right. This is from Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then Matthew 23, 11 through 12, this is Jesus speaking again. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. All right, so before we talk about what humility, uh, exactly what humility is, um, let's establish what humility is not. Humility is not the same as contrition. And so what I mean by contrition, contrition is the state of feeling sorry for bad behavior, remorse, shame, so it simply stated contrition is feeling guilty, okay? And some, some in the church will teach that in order to remain humble, we must stay focused on our sin, you know, keep it ever before us to remind us of our guilt and our shame. 
So our sin is like a, this ball and chain that we always carry with us as penance so that we remember you know, how our lowly position as sinners. Um, but we will look at, we'll look at some verses later that describe Jesus as being humble. Now, did Jesus ever sin? He did not, right? So Jesus was sinless, yet he was humble. So contrition, that is not humility. Um, now, there is a role that recognizing sin in our lives does play in developing humility, and we will talk about that later. But we don't need to dwell on or focus on our sin to remain humble. Instead, we are to look upon the Lord at, at Christ and at his example. All right, if you could go to slide two. Okay, so then what is humility? Humility is consenting to be an empty vessel through which the life, power, and glory of God are to manifest, not our own will. It is yielding to God his place by having the right relation, the right position, the right attitude between us, the creation or creature, and to God who is our creator. Humility is total dependence on God so that we, we are nothing and he is all. Uh, slide three, please. All right. This is Paul talking in Philippians 2, 5 through 6. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Go ahead, slide, next slide. Okay, so it is um, Jesus' humility is actually what sent him to earth. It is the chief virtue, the chief trait or virtue that accomplished our salvation and our redemption. You know, we often, we quote John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave, but Christ so humbled himself that he came. John 3.16 only realized, could only be realized and come to fruition because Christ chose to humble himself. So God so loved that he gave, but Christ so humbled that he came. There is no John 3.16 without Christ humbling himself. All right. So we especially, at this time of year, this Christmas time of year, we do especially focus on that, that Jesus came to earth and he came as a baby. But really, it's something that is true every day of the year and something that we should remember. Um, and again, it was, some, it was a trait or virtue that Christ had in heaven. It's not like when he came to the earth and became a baby, somehow he became humble then. No, he brought it. He brought it from heaven. And um, as we are partakers of Christ by grace, we too can possess humility. And it, it is not something that we bring to God. It's not something we work up ourselves. But it's something that we receive from God. It's an impartation of his spirit and a virtue that can we can grow in by pursuing it, praying for it, and practicing it. In fact, Andrew Murray says that it should be the object of special desire for all Christians. You know, I wish, I wish someone would have told me that as a, as a baby Christian, as a young Christian, that 
you know, the focus of my pursuit, the focus of my prayers would be humility, would be emptying myself um, and being full of God. Um, Okay. I'm going to read a few verses here. I'm going to read some verses. These are the words of Jesus. Um, They are all from the Gospel of John. I'm not going to Call, call off the reference, but they're all from the Gospel of John. So I'm going to read these verses, and I want you to uh, notice how much that Christ uses the words not and nothing to speak of himself and his relation to the Father. And then I will also read a short ex- excerpt of Murray's commentary on these verses. All right, here we go. This is Christ speaking. The Son can do nothing of himself. I can of my own self do nothing. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will. I receive not glory from men. I am come not to do my own will. My teaching is not mine. I am not come of myself. I do nothing of myself. I have not come of myself, but he sent me. I seek not my own glory. The words that I speak, I speak not from myself. The word which you hear is not mine. So Murray comments, um, it is in this state of humility, in this spirit and disposition, that the redemption of Christ has its virtue and efficacy. It is to bring us to this disposition that we are made partakers of Christ. This is the true self-denial to which our Savior calls us. The acknowledgement that self has nothing good in it except as an empty vessel which God must fill, and that its claim to be or do anything may not for a moment be allowed. It is in this, above and before everything, in which the conformity to Jesus consists, the being and doing nothing of ourselves, that God may be all. He, meaning Jesus, teaches us that where true humility takes its rise and finds its strength is in the knowledge that it is God who worketh all in all, that our place is to yield to him in perfect resignation and dependence, in full consent to be and to do nothing of ourselves. This is the life Christ came to reveal and to impart, a life to God that came through death to sin and death to self. So we, like Christ, are to be empty vessels that God can fill with himself. We are to remove our self, our ego, and make room for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, let's go to the next slide, Joy. Thanks. Okay, so this is my fanciest slide here, as you can see, as an engineer. (laughs) Other ones are all black and white. Okay. Um, No tree can grow except on the root from which it springs. All right. So how many of you have heard it taught that pride is the greatest sin? That, or the idea that pride is the, the root of all sin and evil, right? We've heard that, right? It, it's the sin, pride is the sin that got Satan cast down to earth, right? And it's the sin by which Adam and Eve also fell. But have you ever heard the concept that humility is the root of all virtue? So the opposite of pride is humility, and interestingly, it was the virtue that brought Jesus Christ to earth. So pride brought Satan to earth. Humility brought Jesus to earth. So I'm going to talk through this slide. The, the, 
the tree on the left, okay? This is who fallen man, unregenerate man is by nature, or natural man. So the core, or the base, is pride, which was rooted in Satan and displayed in Adam. And then that gives birth, or gives, comes, brings forth sin, self, uh, the carnal man. And from that we get all the fruits of the flesh, which the Bible talks about. Versus the tree on the right. Um, the tree on the right is uh, who we are by grace, the, by the supernatural regeneration and, um, of our hearts, right? And in that tree, the base or the core is humility, which is rooted in God and was displayed in Jesus. And then that root will uh, give birth or bring forth virtues, uh, the Christ life, being conformed to Christ and his likeness, and sanctification of the sanctified man. And then through that, we produce the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which is actually meekness, and self-control. Right? So... Um, Murray says, you know, humility is the root of all virtue. Hundreds of years before, um, St. Augustine also taught the same thing. He called it, though, he called it the foundation. I'll read a quote from him. He said, humility is the foundation of all other virtues. Hence, in a soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. That's from St. Augustine. So we are, you know, we're very... Very familiar with uh, the reality of the, the tree on the left, right? This is familiar in our experience. But the tree on the right, uh, this experience can be just as possible and just as available as reality for us if we are born again, if we are being imparted with Christ's Spirit. So just as we got our pride from Adam, Right? We can and must get our humility from Jesus Christ, who's the second Adam. And we receive it by impartation as we yield to his indwelling spirit. It's a grace we receive if we earnestly ask for it in prayer, and we seek to practice it in our daily lives through faith and obedience. So, uh, so practically speaking, what does it look like to be, to be humble, or how is humility expressed? Here we go to slide six. All right. So how is humility expressed? So we've learned that humility is it's not contrition. It's not feeling shame and guilt. Um, humility is not self-deprecation either. So what I'm talking about us being nothing, I'm not talking about self-deprecation, okay? By that I mean belittling, undervaluing, or disparaging yourself, or being excessively modest, right? That, you know, our own self-conscious thoughts when we put those thoughts above what God says about us and who God says we are, that is not humility, okay? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less, okay? Um, and actually, when you think about it, when we put our own thoughts before God, that is prideful. So to say things like, I am the light of the world, you know, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You know, I'm a more than conqueror. Those are all humble statements because those are God's thoughts above our own 
self-conscious thoughts, okay? All right, and then uh, how is it expressed? So our humility before God will prove or show itself in our humility before others, before men. So how we relate to and how we treat other people. Our humility uh, will express itself towards others as love, service, compassion, meekness, kindness, gentleness, gentleness, long-suffering, forbearance, and forgiveness. So how you treat and interact with others, is, is that actually reveals how humble you are before God. Um, and that's a pretty sobering thought. I mean, for me, that's a very sobering thought to think that, you know, right relationship this way, this, this vertical relationship with God and being in right relationship and humble before God is actually displayed and expressed in this horizontal relationship with the people that we interact with. And, you know, in fact, Andrew Murray will say that the, 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 the only humility that is really ours, that we really possess, is that which we carry out in our ordinary, everyday, day-to-day conduct and behavior. That, is, that reveals the humility before God that we possess. So sobering and challenging. All right, next, next slide, please. All right, so we talked about humility being the, the root of all other virtues. And so I'm just going to talk about three, three fruits that will bloom from humility. And, of course, there are many, many more, but with the time we have this morning, we're going to look at three. Honestly, again, you could do a teaching, even a series on each one of these, but um, one of these alone. But uh, for this morning, we'll just touch on these three. All right, so the first one is, the first fruit of humility is holiness or sanctification. Um, so pride, pride actually brings a false holiness. In fact, a lack of humility is a sure indication of a counterfeit holiness. Um, you know, this is the holiness of the Pharisees. It's, it's the legalism. It's the self-righteousness. I don't, you know, dot, 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 fill in the blank, or I do dot, 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 fill in the blank. And so the standard held up for that kind of holiness is other people. I am holier than thou, right? So, that, so I'm doing well. But no, that's not the truth. Our standard for holiness is the Lord himself, right? So when we are humble, empty of ourself, and we're full of God's presence, only then can we be holy. You know, God alone is holy, so apart from his presence, there is no holiness. That's the only way to be holy is to be full of God. He alone is holy. So now, uh, becoming holy is a process, and we call that process sanctification. And Linda talked a little bit about spirit, soul, and body, right? The sanctification is what, this is not my notes, I'm just going to add it because you prompted me. The sanctification is in our spirit, our, in our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And that is the process by which we are becoming more Christ-like. This is the, you know, from the point that we get born again and we're justified and our spirit is redeemed to the part where we're taken up and our body is glorified. Between that is sanctification, and that's, the, that's what the life we live on this earth that our soul is being sanctified and made more and more Christ-like. But again, it's just like 
right, uh, you know, salvation, the born, born again of our spirit, and the glorification of our bodies when we return and go to, to be with the Lord when we're resurrected. These are by grace through faith, correct? There's nothing you do that's by grace through faith. When you're resurrected, that's going to be by grace through faith. Sanctification, that working out to become more conformed like Jesus, that is also by, by grace through faith. So it's not an imitation. Sanctification is not an imitation. It's an impartation. It's an impartation of his spirit. Um, I'm going to read an example here. It's a, it's a good illustration of how humility is the chief virtue found in those who are being sanctified. And then in this illustration, too, you'll, you will see here this, the proper place of acknowledging sins. And this is not my own illustration. I'm not going to take credit for it. It's out, straight out of the Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I'm just going to read it straight out because I could not... I could not state it better. But I want you to just um, picture. There's a little bit of a preface and then the illustration. Uh, this brings us to observe in conclusion that humility is the great virtue that we find in those who are being sanctified. This is something that we notice, notice again and again in the lives of God's great servants as we learn of them in the Bible. As we study the lives of such men as Moses, David, Peter, Paul, and so on, we see how they fought against sin within themselves. We see how they sometimes fell back, but then we see how they always went back to fight against sin more than ever before. Then we notice two things. On the one hand, we see that they are becoming more holy in their lives, and on the other hand, we see that they are becoming to feel they are coming to feel more and more their own unworthiness before God. And if you don't like the word unworthiness, think their own dependence upon God or their own need for grace from God. Or in other words, the more they come to be holy, the more they feel themselves to be sinners. And while this may seem strange at first thought, it is not really difficult to understand. Let us illustrate. So here's the illustration, if you can imagine this, this mental picture. Imagine a man has fallen into the mud on a dark night. Now at a distance, he sees a great light. He also begins to see how dirty he is. And as he begins to wash off the dirt, and he begins to wash off the dirt as he walks towards the light. So the nearer he gets to the light, the more dirt he tries to get rid of. And yet because, and yet because he is getting nearer to the light, it is also true that he is able to see more clearly how dirty he is. So it is with those who are being sanctified by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is constantly showing them more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is constantly showing them how high and holy is the nature of God. And the Holy Spirit is constantly leading them to cleanse themselves of their old, of their old sins. They are becoming less sinful. Yet because they are seeing more and more clearly what they ought to be, they also feel more and more, more and more that they are unworthy sinners, or they are undeserving yet grateful sinners. So this is the reason why the holiest men in Bible history and in church history were also the humblest men. Others could see that they were indeed dying more and more in, onto sin and living onto righteousness, but at the same time, they could see more and more that they were sinners saved by grace. We might sum it up then by saying that sanctification is not a process by which we go higher and higher until we can stand before God feeling that we are holy people. It is rather a process by which we go lower and lower in our estimate of self, while at the same time we desire above all that we might be holy. 
for it is only in genuine humility that we really become holy. Okay. All right, second fruit is meekness. And I have just uh, some synonyms, I guess you could say. Meekness is power or strength under control. It's also patient endurance, especially in injury. And it could be, uh, another synonym would be disciplined calmness, or a better word for that maybe would be composure, keeping composure. All right, so I'm going to read some scriptures on meekness. So next slide, please. All right, from Numbers 12.3. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So Moses, he was the meekest man on the earth. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 5.5, he says on his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then again in Matthew 11.29, which we read earlier, Jesus saying of himself, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay, so generally speaking, um, in, our, in our 21st century Western culture, we, um, we do not really think of meekness as a virtue. Like today, it's often um, is an expression that has a negative connotation. When we think of, of, of a meek person, maybe we think someone who is mousy or weak or docile or, you know, someone lacking courage, you know, being meek. But, you know, in contrast, in, in the ancient um, Near Eastern cultures, including the, the, Greco-Roman, the Greco-Roman world, um, where, Jesus, where Jesus lived, right, the virtue of meekness was greatly valued. Um, and it was often ascribed to a person of high status. The ancient Near Eastern kings, they would not hesitate to describe themselves as both mighty and as meek. And it, it did not have any pejorative overtones in, in that culture. So instead, in contrast, meekness, when it was used in the vernacular of the original Bible languages, both in Hebrew and in Greek, um, it denoted such things as this. So listen to this list and think about humility before God and how that's expressed to others. So meekness denoted such things as this, lack of self-pride or self-concern, sacrifice on behalf of others, disciplined calmness or disciplined strength, Again, you could say composure. Power under control or harnessing power, harnessing power for the good of others. Benevolent compassion for subordinates. Willing to endure a heavy burden without complaint. Patient and hopeful endurance of undesirable circumstances beyond one's control. In other words, resolve. Uh, perseverance through absolute trust in God's ability to direct events. This last one, I, look, I, I like this one in particular. It's one of my favorites. Perseverance through absolute trust in God's ability to direct events. That, that could be a working definition of faith, couldn't it? So, as we see in these scriptures, Moses was called very meek, and Jesus is also called meek. Um, the, uh, an example in Moses' life, just one, the very context of that verse that I read was when his own siblings, Aaron and Miriam, were inciting the Israelites to rebel. And they were trying to usurp his authority. And yet, we know that Moses did not seek revenge. He didn't crush them. 
In fact, he interceded for them, and he, he, yeah, he interceded for them, that, that God would spare them and not, and, you know, remit that sin from them. Um, you know, and then for 40 years, he's continuing to endure without complaint um, the rebellious Israelites as he's, as he's leading them through the desert. Uh, Dwight O. Moody said something pretty profound. You might hear this quote. It's pretty famous. He said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. You know, when he was the prince of Egypt, right, in the Pharaoh's home. He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert learning he was nobody. And finally, 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Amen? And then from the New Testament, Christ, he is our ultimate example of meekness. And the one that comes to my mind the most is him hanging on that cross. You know, he could have come down. He could have ended that crucifixion. He could have put a stop to all of it. He could have called down legions of angels, but he didn't. And that was meekness. That was strength under control and harnessed strength for the good of others and on behalf of others. And so Christ was the ultimate example of meekness there. So meekness is not weakness. It's, it's strength. It's strength in adversity. Amen. Okay. We're going to go on to the third fruit. Okay, thank you, Joy. <laughs> Perfect. She's way ahead of me. All right, so the third one I'm going to talk about is exaltation. And um, I have a definition there of what I mean by exaltation. I mean powerful and effective ministry that advances the kingdom of God. So I'm not talking... Um, that is my definition. It's not, when I say exaltation, and when God talks about exaltation, he's not talking about status in the world. He's not talking about honor among men, right? Um, exaltation by God means that you will be a servant, right? You'll, the greatest in his kingdom is servant of all. You will be serving others. All right, so if we want to be effective and have an effective ministry in the kingdom of God, then we must be humble. I'm going to read the, go ahead, the next slide. These are verses from James and Peter, James 4, 6 through 7. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. All right, so whose job is it to do the humbling? Right? Yes, James 4, 10, humble yourselves. Now again, we are choosing to submit to God. We are choosing to humble ourselves. But as I said before, it's still the impartation by grace through faith of his spirit that is working out the fruits of that humility as we, as we pursue it, as we consecrate ourselves and humble ourselves. And then whose job is it to do the exalting? Right? It's God's job, right? It's God's job to do the dog. He will do the exalting. Um, I also, I just want to point out, I find it interesting too in that first verse that I read, that even successful spiritual warfare is predicated on being humble. Right? Successful spiritual warfare starts with humility, submitting to God, and resisting the devil. 
All right, so why is it that God can exalt a humble person? All right? It's because he's exalting himself, isn't he? If, if we are humble and we're empty of self and full of God, then he can exalt us because he's exalting himself, the only one who's worthy of that exaltation. All right, go ahead to the next slide. So this is just a summary slide, and um, this is a summary slide. And if I was, uh, yeah, if I was teaching my children around a table, or if I was teaching us, you know, a classroom of students or youth group, at this point they would get this worksheet, <laughs> answer these questions, <laughs> talk, discuss, come up with answers. You know, this good review. This is good. What have you What have you learned? What have you understood? So I'm not going to pass out a worksheet for y'all, <laughs> um, like I would as my you know teaching my kids. But but we'll talk through them. We'll just discuss them as a, as a means of good good review and the four points that I think I would, I would hope to, that you would take with you. So what is a good biblical definition of humility? So we know we've seen it's not contrition, it's not self-deprecation, right? Jesus was humble, but he never showed contrition, he never showed self-deprecation. So the biblical definition is humility is consenting to be an empty vessel through which God's will and glory, not our own, are manifested. So in a phrase, we are nothing, and he is all. It is yielding to God his place by acknowledging our right relationship to him as creature to creator. It has little to do with focusing on sin and much to do with looking upon the Lord. All right, how did humility play into God's plan for our salvation, and why should we Christians pursue it as the chief and highest virtue? So it was Jesus' humility, which he possessed in heaven, that actually sent him to the earth. It's the chief virtue that he, uh, by which he gave his life on the cross and accomplished our salvation and our redemption. So humility is the root. It's the root virtue by which all other virtues, all other fruits will come forth. And in humility, we are made partakers of Christ and are conformed to his image. All right, so where do we get humility? And what is the proof or measure of us walking in humility? Well, we get humility by, from Christ, right? We, uh, about an impartation of his spirit as we yield to his spirit. It's a grace we receive if we ask earnestly for it in prayer, and we seek to practice it in our daily lives through faith, through obedience. And our humility before God will show itself by our humility before men in how we relate to others and how we treat others. And why are the humblest persons also the most holy or sanctified? Why can God exalt a humble person? Again, holiness is not by outward works. You know, that, those are, that holiness is rooted in pride. Outward works towards holiness is rooted in pride. God alone is holy. So that only when we are empty of ourselves and full of the presence of God can we be truly holy. And he can exalt a humble person because he is exalting himself. Only one who is worthy. All right. So that's my last slide, but I'm not quite done. Um, So 
I said at the beginning when I started speaking that this book was very, very impactful on my life. And so I'm going to just share a little bit more of the personal you know, application and things that I learned, the way that my thinking and my, uh, the approach to my Christianity, to my faith walk changed, some, some ways that I had to think differently and repent and change my thinking. And um, I would hope that many of the young people would hear this and learn it sooner than I did. And if you're under 50, you're younger than me, so you're younger. <laughs> so learn it before me and learn it sooner. Um, but God speaks to me often, the Holy Spirit often speaks to me in threes. Don't ask me why, it's just, it is. He wants to get a truth to me, I'll see it three different ways, I'll three, see it three different times, and I'll, oh, okay, <laughs> confirmed by three witnesses. Okay, And so, uh, God spoke to me, you know, upon this, my study in my 40s of, of humility. Um, I was quite a different person in my 20s. So I used to, the first thing God said, when I was in my 20s, you know, I, I remember my focus always being, I got to find God's plan for my life, right? And I'm looking for God's plan for my life, God's plan for my life. I need, you know, to find God's plan for my life. But, you know, in my 40s, it was different. It was my life for God's plan. My life for God's plan. Same five words. A very different attitude, a very different approach. Um, you know, the first one in my 20s, it was like, that was the focus on my ministry. What was my ministry going to be? You know, God's plan for my life, my ministry. It was There was the Susanna show, right, you know, that I was building. But my life for God's plan, that's the end of my notions, right? It's the end of my ideas, it's the end of my personal ambitions or dreams for myself. And it's a complete surrender, my life for God's plan. So that was the first thing, my life for God's plan. Second one, again, when I was in my 20s, oh, I'm going to live for God. You know, I'm just, I'm going to live for God. In my 40s, nope, I'm not going to live for God. I'm going to live from God. I'm not going to live for God. I'm going to live from God. And what I mean by that is we need to get with God. <laughs> we need to plug in to his spirit, plug in to tune in with what he's doing. We need to abide in him and in the vine and bear, you know, the fruits of the vine. Um, you know, when I, again, when I was young, there's, there's Christian slogans floating out there that, you know, I would have had that bracelet. I would have had that T-shirt. You know, what would Jesus do? WWJD. I don't like that because it's what would Jesus do to me sounds like, okay, well, let's think about what would Jesus do. Okay, well, let's do this, and we'll just we'll imitate it. We'll copy what Jesus would do, we'll imitate him. No. What is Jesus doing? That is the question. What is Jesus doing? It's about knowing. He's, he's alive. He's active. He's working in the earth, and he wants to work through us. And so we got to get with God, and we got to get with Jesus, and we got to find out what is he doing and so we don't have to think, oh, what would Jesus do here? We just come in, we bring Jesus, and we do what he's doing. So what is Jesus doing? The other slogan you see, and again, I would have had this T-shirt in my 20s, um, Christ died for me. The least I can do is live for him. Again, live for him. No. Christ died for me. The best I can do is die for him. Right? 
scriptures say it's I have been crucified with Christ. It's, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And even that life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I live from God. And now, you know, this was a revelation to me. And I, maybe I'm slow, but it was a new revelation. And many of you maybe have this revelation. I know Pastor Dan used to, his way of saying it was, you don't live for, it's not, it's not important what you do for God. What's important is what God does through you. Wow, ding, 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 right? Um, Carrie Pickett in our Wednesday night class that the Eagers are leading, she, she would say it similarly, you know, she would say, it's not about, you know, getting through the word or getting into the word. That's important. But it's about the word getting through you, right? It's about the word getting in you and even better, the word, capital W word, Christ, getting through you, getting in you, Right? And so I'm not going to live for God. I'm going to live from God. Because everything I have, everything I need is in him. My ministry is in him. My healing is in him. My deliverance is in him. My peace is in him. Everything that we need is in him. All right, and the third thing, the third way that Jesus, that God, that the Holy Spirit was saying these same things to me again in my 20s, I want God to use me. I want God to use me, like use me, use me. Again, emphasis on, on me, right? Like I had, I have my talents, I have my gifts, I have these things that I possess that I'm bringing to God that I'm offering to him. You know, use, use me, use me. And I distinctly heard the Holy Spirit say to me, there is nothing in you that I can use. But if you will empty yourself and be a vessel that I can fill, then you will be useful to me. Sorry. Amen. So that's what I had in my heart for this morning. Um, Again, I I just scratched the surface. This is just a very powerful book, and so I would, I would encourage you all to get it and read it. I mean, he's got 12, they're short chapters, and um, you'll get through it quickly, but you will be chewing on it <laughs> for a long, long time. And so um, I hope that was a blessing. I'm going to end with a quote. This is Andrew Murray speaking of Christ. He said, His humility became our salvation. His salvation is our humility. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that your humility became our salvation. As we remember this, uh, especially now, Lord, at, at Christmas time, we pray that every day of our lives may be a testament, a testament that your salvation is our humility, the emptying of ourselves so that you can be all. Pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>